When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Those group stages are in the can. We now know our 16 knockout stage teams now. Players will be glad for the two-day rest if they do get a two-day rest. Viewers maybe not so as we have been so conditioned to relentless 24-7 football over the past 18 months. Fear not, we're not resting here on Warrior Football on rest days. We're looking back at tournaments gone by. I am Jake from Warrior Football and this is the Euro Rewind to the 18 phase of the European Championships, the 1980s and 1992, here on the 20th episode of Euro Daily. And of course, the Euro Daily podcast is available on Patreon, that is patreon.com forward slash whatifootball where you can get 7 days a week content 50 weeks a year after the championships for the price of a pint here in Yorkshire that's £3 for contemporary and nostalgic football podcasts as well as video game content also available on Apple, Spotify, Acast and Amazon or any good podcasting platform where we would be so generous if you could give us a 5 star review to help boost us sweet algorithms. Let's get stuck into today's show, shall we? So we begin in November 1977. UEFA president and Italian Artemio Franchi handed Italy the reins of the 1980 tournament. The expansion was from four teams to eight teams after the superb 1976 tournament. See yesterday's podcast for the humble beginnings of the European Championship on our very first Euro Rewind. The build-up to the 1980 tournament was marred by the Totonero betting scandal, a betting ring that had implicated both players and clubs. AC Milan and Lazio were both relegated, Avellino, Bologna and Perugia were all handed points deductions. As, a wake, as At the wake of this, Franchi left his post as the head of the Italian FA too. England ended 10 years of missed tournaments with the best record in qualification, which was now only a qualification group, no more playoffs. In Kevin Keegan, they had the qualifications top scorer as well with seven. Everything was going great for England and Ron Greenwood. West Germany got through unblemished. Belgium won at Hamden to qualify in the final game. 
Spain qualified ahead of the fancied Yugoslavia in a 3-1 win in Cyprus, whilst the Netherlands overturned a 2-0 deficit in Leipzig to beat East Germany 3-2. This, alongside a draw against Poland, the previous game helped the Dutch get over the line. Despite France beating Czechoslovakia in Paris, the Czechs rebounded with a 4-0 win over Luxembourg to qualify, whilst Greece's 8-1 thrashing of Finland in October 1978 meant that their goal difference would be unassailable and they practically assured themselves of qualification with a 1-0 win over the Soviet Union and a combination of Finland's 3-1 loss to Hungary and quite possibly, quite possibly one of the closest qualification groups of all time in a world of two points for a, uh, for a win there. Two, point, two points just split the teams first to fourth. If the 1976 tournament was wall-to-wall drama, four games, every game going to extra time in the straight knockout phase, 1980 was exceedingly defensive. Defensive probably because of the poor format. In The format was thus two groups of four, but only the winners went through. So teams were extremely cautious, too worried to give up a defeat or a draw perhaps. And obviously the second place from each group fell into a third and fourth place playoff. There were no semi-finals, the only European championship without semi-finals. Netherlands and West Germany eked out second half 1-0 wins in their group against Greece and Czechoslovakia, which effectively killed their tournament from the very first game, killed their momentum for the second game with each other. Czechoslovakia won 3-1 in that game, whilst Penenka, the hero of 1976, of course, scored the first with a free kick. This was down to the only group winner progressing. Their tournament was effectively over from the very first game. Group B was very similar. Italy were very, very, very resolute, stringent in their defensiveness, almost becoming a caricature of themselves. They wouldn't concede throughout the group stages, yet still, still didn't make, still didn't make the qualification to the final. Nil-nil draw in San Siro against Spain. A late Marco Tandelli win in Turin versus England were the uh, first win, first uh, results there for the Italians. Belgium were open as open as any other team really, quickly quashing England with a, a Jan Kuhlmann's equaliser, but it was more a game rem- marred by and remembered by hooliganism, which landed England with an £8,000 fine, which is £1 for every English supporter in Italy at the time. The fans received a big dressing down from manager Ron Greenwood, and unfortunately it wasn't the only game marred by violence. Italian protestations in Milan were... Uh, alive and kicking for the match with Spain as well. And Italy would catch Spain with a late goal from Julian Coles. It left the concluding game versus Italy. Very, very simple. Don't lose in the Olympico. And Belgium were through to a final, miraculously. And prior to that, England caught their only win of the championships, a Tony Woodcock winner in a 2-1 win against Spain, which mattered absolutely not a jot because of the formatting. A nil-nil draw in Rome against Belgium was the mark of a championships really for Italy, as, a, as was a Thomas Cook plane burnt to the ground in Turin, which was England's welcome for, <laughs> for the championships in Italy. Belgium in this draw sat deep, they defended their admirable position and mark of the supposed whipping boys. They were in the final, they defeated the Italian, by Italian means was the quote emanating from the group stages. The game of the group, or rather the game of the entire tournament, was held in Naples between Germany, West Germany and the Netherlands. Klaus Olofs was the star of the show, a hat-trick, the second of only eight hat-tricks in tournament history. The Dutch would make the score a bit more respectable at 3-2, 
but it meant fizzling out at the end. The Netherlands were effectively out of the tournament as West Germany needed just a point against Greece. If there was a winner in Milan, that is. And a winner in Milan, there wasn't. Either way, West Germany got a 0-0 draw against Greece to meet Belgium in the final. Meanwhile, Penenka was up to his old trick, scoring in another penalty shootout in the third, fourth place playoff. 9-8 this time against Italy. And next day, it was Rome, Belgium, West Germany. A seemingly obvious winner. Well, Belgium had gone out in each of the first round in each of their six tournaments, that being five World Cups and the 1972 European Championship. But West Germany's squad was young, so perhaps they had the advantage there. They had the average age of 23 years and four months, West Germany, with Jupp Dorwell, the coach, booking them into a central hotel in Rome, allowing the wives and girlfriends and families of the players in, which might have been a distraction, but it created good vibes in the camp, in the West German camp, and potentially translated onto the pitch. Horst Rubrecht scored twice in Rome, the second extremely late in the 88th minute to nick a 2-1 win in Rome, to nick a second championships in their third successive final. West Germans, officially in their 1980 Euro 1980 review, labelled the tournament a hideous disfigurement of football. Whilst UEFA were quoted years later that the format was not met with great success, understatement of the century there from UEFA, but rejoice. The format was changed for 1984 and how. Out was the one-team qualifying, returning in from the cold were the semi-finals, thankfully, and even more thankfully, the third-place playoff was finally gone. About time FIFA abolished it for the World Cups as well, if you ask me. France got the nod as hosts, whilst Belgium joined them simply winning their first four in qualification. But it was a shell of their 1980 team that made the final, after a match-fixing scandal in Belgium saw them lose four players. A wrongly awarded Rui Jordao penalty leapfrogged Portugal ahead of Soviet Union on the final day for their first European Championships qualification. Denmark pipped Bobby Robson's England in a September the 1983 1-0 win at Wembley, which secured that. A late goal from Mehmed Bazdarevic in Cardiff took qualification out of Welsh hands. It left them needing a draw between Yugoslavia and Bulgaria, whilst a win for Eva qualified them. And the sickener with a minute left. Lubomir Radanovic headed in a winner, a steal for Yugoslavia. Meanwhile, Italy's hangover from winning the 1982 Cup World Cup was so severe that they didn't win in their first seven qualification matches. Simply unthinkable now, really. Stepping in to fill the void left behind Italy were Romania after a 1-1 draw in Bratislava with Czechoslovakia. Meanwhile, in another group, Spain needed an 11-goal win to qualify ahead of the Netherlands in their final game. We were still fresh off the disgrace of Gijon in 1982, but this and Spain's convenient 12-1 win in Malta uh, changed the rules in terms of teams finishing their group stages at the same time there. Also, see, we'll probably see some controversy ahead of the 2026 World Cup with those format changes as well. Germany, West Germany, qualified despite losing twice to Northern Ireland and having Bernd Schuster retire off to Real Madrid he was. Joining him in absentia were Paul Breitner, Hansi Muller and Felix Magat, all unfavoured by the manager. And according to a book that I've used a lot in the research for this, Jonathan O'Brien's Euro Summits, which is a fantastic book, the competition was hanging by a thread. Artemio Franchi pumped millions into promotional material for this tournament, the 1984 tournament. But Franchi would have unfortunately died before the tournament staging and wouldn't be around to see the majesty and the beauty of the 1984 European Championships. 
L'Europe en habit bleu. Europe is dressed in blue, was the slogan. Denmark had quite some team. They had youngster Michael Laudrup from Lazio. Morten Olsen was captain at the back. Meanwhile, Ballon d'Or winner Alan Simonson, Preben Elkia and Soren Lerby were among the star players for the Danes. But in the tournament proper, they fell to Michel Platini in the curtain raiser in Paris, albeit from a, from a late goal. Alan Simonson's long wait for a tournament was cruelly over after a broken leg in the first half. He wouldn't play another minute of tournament football for Denmark. Platini accused a Bordeaux group of players of passing to themselves, so infighting in the French camp was rife going into this game. One of those Bordeaux players was Jean Tigernand. Well, we'll get onto it, yeah. Jean Tigernard-Michel Platini partnership soon, later on down the line. Denmark would avenge this loss by slapping Yugoslavia 5-0 and meeting Belgium in an all-or-nothing tie in the third match day. Belgium, who had Enzo Sifo breaking the record for the youngest European Championships player versus Yugoslavia, was playing very well. In the meantime, though, Michel Platini added goals 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 and 7 with a couple of hat-tricks in the final group stage matches. First a 5-0 win over a confident Belgium in Nantes and then a 3-2 win over Yugoslavia in Saint-Etienne. Both would be out prior to the semi-finals, however, despite Belgium taking a 2-0 lead in Strasbourg against Denmark. Jan Koulemans and Frankie Verkateren put Belgium into a lead. However, first Frank Arneson and then sub Kenneth Briel and then finally Preben Elkia with six minutes on the clock overturned that deficit. A game for the ages in European Championships history, but if it had taken place in 1980, a game that would have had absolutely nothing on it. They would play the winner of Group B, hotly anticipated with Spain, Portugal, Germany and of course Romania. Germany struggled to a nil-nil against Portugal in their first tournament match in 18 years. It was Portugal who hadn't played a game of competitive international tournament football since 1966 in a semi-final with England at Wembley. Two Rudy Voller goals sunk Romania just late on in Lons for uh, West Germany. Meanwhile, Spain drew two two times 1-1 and it left the group on a knife edge in terms of two points for a win. We had West Germany with three, Spain on two, Portugal on two and Romania on one. Feasibly, any team could end up in any position. In Paris, it was Germany versus Spain. In Nantes, it was Portugal versus Romania. Kicker called West Germany the worst of times before this showdown. Romania were miserable. TVs were disconnected in their rooms in worry of defection, Romanian defection to the West. Miguel Munoz, the manager of Spain, said his team played nondescript football against Romania, whilst Spanish press labelled Portugal versus Romania a dance of nonsense. However, Nene put Portugal through with his final international goal at the age of 34, 1-0. Meanwhile, the Germany-Spain contest was far more exciting. West Germany threatened early on, but still the game remained 0-0. Had it finished that way? Lots would be drawn for qualification, but on 90 minutes, Schumacher in goal for West Germany let a header slip through his grasp, and you could say it was karma for his actions in the, in the semi-final against France from the 1982 World Cup, this being on French soil as well, so it was heavily jeered by the French faithful in attendance. Jupp Derwell would be sacked, soon to be replaced by a West German legend. More on that later. Le Car Magique. Fernandez, the six. Tigana, the box-to-box midfielder, as an eight. Gires, a creative eight. And Michel Platini, the superstar playing number 10. The Magic Cube. The first team at the tournament faced Portugal. 
but to get there they had to go through a bus, cr- bus crash on the way to the stadium. Domerg struck a free kick in the first half of what was to be an unstoppable semi-final, one of the instant classics in European Championship history. But it hadn't got going yet. Rui Jordao ensured that it would go the distance with an equaliser. Jordao would skew a volley into the top corner in extra time to overturn the lead. Would the French, would the hosts be heading out in their own semi-final? Before Domerger made it 2-2, both on a personal and collective front, tapping in on 114 minutes. And then with a minute to go, Bordeaux player Jean Tiganard kept running and running and running. And then he found Platini. Platini was passed to by a Bordeaux player. Platini found the net. John Motson went wild and France were to go through, winning 3-2. In the other semi-final, Lerby smashed in from point blank early on for Denmark. Only for Makeda in Spain to level. And unlike the previous night, this one went all the way to the penalty shootout because of a wasteful Denmark. Preben Elkia, one of the better forwards at 1984, missed his spot kick whilst a track-suited Sarabia walked up to the uh, penalty spot, he was told to take off his tracksuit, prolonging the agony, the atmosphere inside the stadium. But he would score, Spain through to the final to meet France. A nervous France in the final should have been punished by Spain, but weren't. A harsh-looking free kick fell to Platini, who bent it over the wall. It went through the goalkeeper's gloves and in. Platini's nine goals in this tournament like likely never eclipsed in a single tournament, although Cristiano Ronaldo is far off that one with a potential four games to play. His overall nine goals at European Championships only gone this summer, of course, with Cristiano Ronaldo's goals against Hungary in the first game. Spain will look, Spain's luck was seemingly running out, and now with confidence, France completed a 2-0 win. It was France's first football title internationally, they hadn't got so close prior to this generation since perhaps the Raymond Copa Just Fontaine team in 1958 and 1960 when they made both of those semi-finals. They wouldn't come close again for another 14 years. After this short break, we'll be revealing the answer to a 2021 trivial teaser and also taking a look back at Euro 88 and Euro 1992. Welcome back. So yesterday's answer was Hugo Lloris, and of course, well done to Jake Collinson there. Unfortunately, Dean Pope, it was not Carlo Cudicini. So we move on. Sorry to anybody who's also shouted in with an answer later on in the day. I am recording these um, these rewinds back to back on uh, as we are Friday. So apologies if I missed anyone who gave the correct answer of Hugo Lloris in there later on on the Twitter feed at what if underscore YouTube if you're wondering where you can tell me the answer to this. Trivial teaser. Today I am a centre-back. I have been managed by Valerian Ismail and Paolo Souza. Some of my teammates have been Robert Lewandowski, Alex Mowat, Matty James, Wojciech Szczesny and Jan Bednarek. Who could I possibly be? I am a centre-half who has been managed by Valerian Ismail, Paolo Souza. I've played alongside Robert Lewandowski, Alex Mowat, Matty James, Wojciech Szczesny and Jan Bednarek. If you think you know the answer, as I say... Tweet me at what if underscore YouTube. The answer will be revealed on tomorrow's show where we will, of course, be looking at the first two knockout stage games of Euro 2020, which take place later today. After this break, though, we will be looking at Euro 88 and Euro 1992 as the 18 format came to a close. Welcome back. 1988, West Germany hosted, but West Berlin's Olympic Stadium would not be used. 
Romania beat Spain 3-1, but a 0-0 in Vienna, plus Spain's 5-0 win over Albania qualified Spain ahead of Romania, who also qualified for 1984's tournament. Georgia Hadji almost drags Romania there, but he missed a last-minute chance against Austria to almost put them into the championships for the second successive time. Meanwhile, Italy beat Portugal 3-0 in Milan, Portugal capitulating late on to kill their qualification bid with Italy, breezing through into Euro 88. Like Italy of 1984, France's successful generation gave way for just one winning qualification, Soviet Union swooping in to qualify ahead of them. An England route in Belgrade, four goals in the first 25 minutes, qualified them ahead of Yugoslavia. Meanwhile, Netherlands breezed through, but were fortunate that UEFA didn't give Cyprus a walkover against them. That is because a smoke bomb injured the Cyprus goalkeeper in what was originally an 8-0 win. Netherlands were forced to a replay. They won 4-0 as expected and Greece smarted in the background, waiting in second place behind them for a qualification that was never, never to arrive. Denmark got over the line against Wales, whilst Wales needed win against Czech Republic, or Czechoslovakia at the time, was a 2-0 defeat. Meanwhile, Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, qualified for their very first tournament, beating Bulgaria 2-0, as Belgium and Bulgaria lost afterwards. West Germany were finalists from the World Cup in 1986, but so much had changed. Jürgen's Klinsmann and Koller were the biggest names in, in a big shake-up for the West German team on home soil. Manager Franz Beckenbauer, that is the West German legend you were thinking of in the previous segment, he received criticism and then even more criticism when Roberto Mancini stunned them in Dusseldorf in Italian blue. Andy Bremer claimed a lucky point for West Germany whilst both ran rampant through Group A unopposed. Jürgen Klinsmann got Germany on their way in a 2-0 win over Denmark. Meanwhile, Rudi Voller bagged two more goals against Spain. Those Voller goals, his first goals for Germany, West Germany, in almost a year. Spain's star man Michel stymied by Paolo Maldini against Italy. Vacant here again, and that was the difference here between a group stage exit and a semi-final. Miguel Munoz stood down as Spain manager after six years after another group stage elimination. Meanwhile, Gianluca Vialli won the game against Spain and another goal in a second-half win eliminated an ageing Denmark. Denmark hindered, hampered by Prebenel Kjaar's ruptured Achilles during the group stages. His final cap, his final international cap coming against West Germany, aged just 30 years old. In the other group, the first match day would blow things wide open. The favoured English and Netherlands teams both lost England in a gritty home nations clash against Ireland with a fantastic Ray Horton goal. Gary Lineker would struggle all tournament with fitness after suffering from hepatitis prior to the prior to the games. Meanwhile, the Netherlands would lose to the Soviet Union, with the winners of those sharing the points in Hanover. Soviet Union saving the game against Ireland with a 74th minute equaliser. Valery Lobanovsky opted for pragmatism over the high-octane football that wowed the world in Mexico 86 from the USSR. In the other fixture that day in Dusseldorf between England and the Netherlands, Marco van Basten happened. <laughs> a hat-trick against England sunk them in a damning 3-1 display and it left England out before the, before the final match day. Despite the haul, the promise of Gary Lineker and Glenn Hoddle, who both struck the woodwork early on, Netherlands rampaged through with Marco van Basten with a heavily taped ankle, putting them in the driving seat for qualification. They had the goal advantage going into their game against Ireland. Meanwhile, Soviet Union confirmed a semi-final with Italy by putting three beyond England in Frankfurt. Had England's exile from Europe hampered them, 
with the Hazel ban or were Soviet Union just that much better? I tend to uh, lean on the latter for that one. Netherlands would join them in the semi-finals, resolute in their late 1-0 win in Gelsenkirk and perhaps a tad lucky to uh, eliminate Ireland from that one, which would have been their only semi-final in competition history. That's a what-if. And they would play the, the favourites and hosts West Germany in the final. Just as Germany would in 1990, they look set to win a knockout game 1-0 through a Lothar Matthäus penalty. Ronald Koeman lucky to stay on the pitch after a tussle with Rudi Voller, but the game would turn on its head in Hamburg. Ronald Koeman equalised from the spot before Marco van Basten in the grand scheme of things forgotten goal of the championships. The slid goal, the snapshot which was beautiful, one of my favourite goals from the man. And so we wouldn't have a repeat of the 1982 World Cup final between West Germany and Italy, but we wouldn't have either of its participants either. Franz Beckenbauer clung on to his job by the skin of his teeth ahead of a more prosperous 1990 World Cup. Litovchenko and Protasov quick fire at the double in Stuttgart against Italy, which meant it ensured a Group B reunion in the final. And then, of course, in that final in Munich, the two iconic goals in the final, the bullet header from Rude Gullet, Rude Hullet, rather, and then the even more iconic Marco van Basten, the best goal in European Championships history. And the fact that he did so with an injured ankle was just that much better. And in an interview with the BBC recently, he said that if he wasn't so injured, he wouldn't have had, he wouldn't have struck the ball like that. He would have brought it down, which, which would have rid of rid us of that goal. But it, it, the injuries that Marco van Basten had, it probably would have elongated his career probably into the twenty first century, which is a shame. But also, that goal is just so iconic. One of the best goals ever scored on a football pitch, professional football pitch. Four years later. Sweden hosted, and the big news from qualification came well after qualification and not on the pitch. Yugoslavia won all their qualification matches but wouldn't be at the tournament, giving up their place to Denmark as they were punished for their part in the Yugoslav Wars. On little notice, Denmark took up their mantle. Meanwhile, France breezed through with a 100% record. Germany, unified Germany, qualified late on despite a loss in Wales. Switzerland chucked their quali qualification place in, whilst whoever won, Bulgaria and Romania would go through at their expense. However, a 1-1 draw meant that Scotland snuck in through the back door for their first European Championships. Soviet Union held firm, 0-0 twice against Italy, but performed better versus Norway than Italy, so they qualified, and they would be the temporary CIS. Netherlands wrapped up qualification with a 2-0 win in Greece ahead of Portugal, so they would not be at their second European Championship just yet. They would have to wait to the, until the expansion to 16 teams in 1996. A point in Poznan was enough for England to quite fortunately qualify ahead of Ireland and Poland for the championships. We were all waiting for Jean-Pierre Papin to blow the tournament wide open. The superb Marseille forward was on the cusp of signing for AC Milan for a world record £10 million and was probably considered amongst the best world football forwards alongside Marco van Basten. He would equalise against the host Sweden in an opener, a 1-1 draw, whilst England toiled to a 0-0 draw in Malmö against wild card Denmark. They would then stop Papan and Co in the same stadium three days later in another drab nil-nil. Thomas Brolin finally got a win on the board in terms of Group A's fixtures in the All-Nordic Affair, which left France favourites to follow Sweden going into the final match day. 
England, though, they had worries. They had a they had no recognisable right back injuries to Paul Parker, Lee Dixon, and Gary Stevens. Meanwhile, Graham Taylor was hardly at his uh, sunk sink best. He was snappy in the press. Unfortunately, his team didn't match that aggression really. David Platt put England ahead with a scruffy opener in Solna. But Henrik Larsson, whilst Henrik Larsson rather, the, not that one, the Danish one, and uh, Jean-Pierre Papin traded goals in Malmo. Henrik Larsson deputising for Kim Vilfort, who had to return home periodically during the championships, nursing his sick daughter. It left England and France through at the time, but it, of course it would not end that way. First, Jana Eriksson equalised for the host against England, who took Gary Lineker off, stuck on 48 international goals for England, who needed just one more to uh, equalise Sir Bobby Charlton's record of 49. Reportedly, in the build-up to the France-Denmark game, a French player told Denmark to go easy on them as they had a semi-final ahead. However, Lars Elstrup got the winner in Malmo and out of nowhere, Denmark had qualified and France, all of a sudden, didn't have a semi-final to play for at all. And then after the Brolin darling Brolin goal... That one of the probably the best goal at this championships, one of the iconic goals for that commentary alone. Sweden escaped with a similar deserving win over England. England and France were out. Sweden and Denmark were through to the semi-finals. In the other group were the holders, Netherlands, and the world champions, Germany. Netherlands had returned to the Rhinus Michels well after a disastrous Italian 90, the Euro 88 winning coach, back in the saddle. In group B, as opposed to Group A, the bigger names qualified. The Netherlands picked off Scotland via Bergkamp's goal before Germany, disappointed against CIS in the open and drawing 1-1 very, very late on. CIS also shut out Netherlands in Gothenburg before Karl-Heinz Riedel and Stefan Effenberg scored in a win against Scotland. Scotland, who performed very heroically, but unfortunately their group, group stage heartache continued it left a showdown between the Netherlands and Germany. Netherlands had knocked them out in 88 and a chance here to do likewise. A win and a CIS win against Scotland would have had Germany out at the groups. Both Netherlands and Scotland burst out of the blocks, leading 2-0 in the opening 15 minutes. However, CIS wouldn't replicate 1988. Denmark, uh, rather Netherlands, they were through. Germany scraped through thanks to uh, favours from Scotland. Yet it would be Germany in the final, not Netherlands. In two thrilling semi-finals, Germany raced into a 2-0 lead but were pegged back by a penalty by Thomas Brolin. Karl-Heinz Riedel got his third late on to kill the game off which would ultimately end 3-2 in the favour of West Germany, or rather Germany at the time. Four goals were shared in Gothenburg, Bergkamp, Rijkaard, both equalised Henrik Larsson's double, Henrik Larsson becoming the uh, joint golden boot winner in the process. Denmark lost Henrik Andersen to what could only be described as an absolutely destroyed kneecap after a collision with Marco van Basten. And it would go all the way, the names of Koeman, Bergkamp, Rijkaard, all scoring from the spot. Meanwhile, Denmark were perfect from 12 yards. And of all people, of all players, the 88 hero Marco van Basten missed. An under par Marco van Basten, who wouldn't score at the tournament, undergoing trouble worries of his own. Then Denmark smashed Germany via John Jensen's bullet, their very first attack of the game in the final as they took the game to Denmark, really. They did influence the back pass law in this game, of course, with uh, numerous passbacks to uh, cap, uh, to goalkeeper Peter Schmeichel. Kim Vilfort, who had gone through the heartache of his seven-year-old daughter's deteriorating condition, she was, of course, going through leukaemia treatment. She would survive to see her father score the second goal, but sadly passed away after the tournament. 
But whatever you say about Denmark's negative pass-back tactics, which helped bring that law into uh, being, Denmark remains one of the most, one of the more magical tournament victories. Now, is it a shock? Probably not as much as you think. It's probably on a par with Portugal in 2016 for me. Sort of a mid-tier team, not in the upper echelons of a Germany, Italy, France, Spain, etc. The shock really comes from the late admission into the tournament from uh, at the expense of Yugoslavia. They had the players. They've still got. They've got Peter Schmeichel. They've got Lars Olsen. They've got uh, Jensen, John Jensen, Lars Elstrup, Brian Laudrup, Henrik Larsson. They were a team that, uh, for the most part, a lot of them were around in uh, at the 1986 World Cup when they got to the knockout phase there. Michael Laudrup wouldn't feature. He'd quit in uh, November 1990 with uh, and brother Brian Laudrup. Brian Laudrup would, of course, return for this tournament. Michael Laudrup would return sometime later on. And in terms of biggest tournament shocks in European Championships history, we'll be... Uh, Talking about that in uh, in another year of Rewind, and I'm sure you all know which one I'm discussing there. We'll be back tomorrow with a, a more normal Euro Daily podcast as the knockout stages return today. For our preview on the last 16, please see Euro Daily podcast episode number 18 at the end where we previewed all the last 16 fixtures. Thank you for the continued support. Thank you for listening Keep it on Patreon, Apple, Amazon, Acast, Spotify for the Euro Daily podcast. And after the tournament, we'll be on both the podcast feed and the platform, and the uh, Patreon feed for more content after the championships. Until tomorrow, come and Biff. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.